Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 17 weeks, 4 quarters, 60 minutes. And it all leads up to one winning, winning drive. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back to the Winning Drive podcast. I am Rita Hubbard, the NFL chick co-host of the Glenn and Rita show on 105.7 The Fan on Sundays at 1. Here with my guy Cordell Woodland from Shaking It Up Sports, as well as the Ravens reporter for 105.7 The Fan. And we saw the documentary uh, Bullies of Baltimore premiere on ESPN um, on Sunday night after the uh, basketball game. And um, somebody made a joke, Cordell, because that Knicks game had like went over mm-hmm. the time it was supposed to. And somebody said this is probably the most um, the Baltimore people watched the Knicks game <laughs> all year long because obviously everybody was waiting for the opportunity, you know, for the the documentary to come on, which didn't come on till about nine o'clock. Um, but it was two hours and it was very well done. It was I really felt like it was very well done. Um, I'll tell you my thoughts on it. I'll elaborate, but from, I know that you're, you know, a, a, a guy from Washington. I know that's down the street, but obviously at that time you had your own allegiance, um, with, uh, rooting for the then Redskins. So, um, when you see that documentary, what did you gain from watching that? Um, just a, a a better insight into the personalities on that team. Uh, you know, I think surface level, we knew that there were some big personalities on there. You had guys like Ray, Tony Saragusa, Shannon Sharp. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you knew that there were guys on that team that, you know, uh, had a loud mouth and they were going to let you hear whatever it was that was on their mind. And they would back it up on the field. That was the best part about them. Um, and I'm all for trash talking. I'm a big trash talker in sports. I think it's needed in sports. I'm a I'm I'm may I I may not seem like it, but I'm competitive as all outdoors. I hate to lose, and I've always been that guy that gets up. You know, the trash talking gets me up. You know what I'm saying? So I enjoy watching the greats do a lot of talking and then go on the field, and then I mean they're backing it up ten times more. So. Uh, that was something that was great to see. And I wanted to know, I think we talked about it on the last episode, or maybe I talked about it on my show, but, you know, there's a, with all the personalities, strong personalities on that team, I would just was amazed at how Brian Billick was able to, you know, coach with that, to make it, to turn that energy into a positive and then yeah. watch the 
documentary, you get a better, at least for me, I got a better insight onto the type of guy that Brian Billick was and his personality might've, might've been just as big as theirs. You know what I'm saying? And that that's why he was able to, I don't want to say contain those personalities, but he knew how to manage them uh, better to make it so that it wasn't a distraction. Um, but you know, uh, a lot of people forget about the rivalry between the Ravens and the Titans back then. I definitely didn't. Um, you know, I think about that rivalry as kind of the way I think about the Ravens Steelers rivalry and how physical that can be. It was yeah. just physical back then. And that yep. Titans team that year, people forget the Titans were the actual number one defense in the league. In total yards, which I don't buy. I don't even buy. I don't believe in that stat Points. to me, but yes, you're right. Yeah. In total yards, they were the number one defense. I, I mean, in points wise, I believe that it was still Baltimore uh, that was up there because I think the Ravens only averaged on a total uh, throughout the season. I think it was like a little over 10 points a game. Yeah. So the Ravens might have been like number one in points, but I only brought that up just to say that the Titans were, you know, that team that was just as physical as they right. were. And I think right. Ray even said that in a documentary. I mean, even offensively, Eddie George was one of the more, you know, physical running backs in the league at that time. And you forget how big of a bat. Uh, Eddie George was, but watching some of those highlights, you remember, um, and just some of the collisions he and Ray used to have, man, it, it just really brought back a lot of memories. So uh, definitely enjoyed a lot of it. Definitely enjoyed Tony Saragusa. I mean, he just really took over the documentary. I think uh, I'm sure, I'm sure they did. And I know they did. Cause I heard of some of the interviews with the uh, directors and producers of the documentary that they altered it a little bit after Sarah Goose's passing to really highlight him. But I mean, he made it easy for them. Every clip he's in, every time he's talking, he's dominating the screen. Um, so it was great to see him uh, out there. I love some of the stories uh, that, that were told and, you know, Greg Williams being identified as the thief that took Trent Dilfer's playbook. I mean, it, <laughs> it goes right along with, what we already know about. I mean, right. this is a guy that was a part of Bounty Gate, and now he's, you know, it comes out that he stole a playbook. It's, it, what, there's no, li there's no limit to how low Greg Williams will go, obviously. <laughs> uh, and it didn't even work for them. I mean, and I remember the Giants that, I know the Giants very well back then, you know, being in the NFC East, and they, you know, Kerry Collins and those guys, they used to have their moments, Tiki Barber, for sure, one of the best running backs in the league at that time. Uh, you know, that defense led by Jason Seahorn and Michael Strahan and those guys. I mean, you know, they definitely had some players out there, uh, but the Giants weren't. They, they weren't that. So to hear Marvin Lewis say, you know, watching the film that he knew that they were going to kill them, I, I can believe <laughs> that because you, you really never knew what Giants team you were going to get at that time. But I, I definitely enjoyed uh, the documentary. Um, and I feel like I got a better grasp on the, on the type of team that 2000 team was. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I was astounded when the Giants beat the Vikings in the NFC Championship game because the Vikings were so good. I mean, they had, uh, I believe, Dante Culpepper at that time, Randy Moss. I mean, they had guys. And so I could not – I was stunned that they did not even score, like – a field goal in that championship game. So I, cause I was completely comp uh, prepared for this to be an all purple Super Bowl. 
that year. And obviously that didn't happen. Um, and so, yeah, I, I felt no, no concern about the Giants. I'm not going to even lie to you. Like I was like, yeah, that's probably going to be a, a, a cake, a cakewalk. And for, for Marvin Lewis to say that basically, and was like, oh yeah, we're going to kill these guys when he found out, you know, who they were going to play. It just further confirmed like, okay, that, 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 that was crazy to me that the Giants ended up there. Um, but ultimately, you know, it was a, a more so of a reminiscence thing to me. You know, I, obviously I remember so much about that season. Um, the goof on the roof, you know, the guy that um, stood uh, on his roof or, or stayed on his roof for all those games, said he wasn't coming down until the Ravens scored an offensive touchdown. It took him a long time to get there. I know he wasn't – I know he probably wasn't the, the most uh, smelling good guy at that <laughs> point because it had been weeks since yeah. he had been up there. But he finally came down, uh, you know, five weeks later. <laughs> That's embarrassing. I mean, that, that right there had to be, if you're on the team and you're thinking about that and you see this guy still on his roof yeah. for over a month, you're like, bruh, that is, this is bad. This this yeah. is, you know, because now it's obviously the the fans of Baltimore are already watching the games. They're already seeing you struggle. But then when you got a guy literally, you know, having your struggles impact his daily life and you got to <laughs> see it on an everyday basis. Cause I'm pretty, I wasn't even in Baltimore at the time, but I could just imagine how the media was probably amplifying that oh, whole thing. Absolutely. They it's did. Like, absolutely. It's, it's like they would check on him avoid. regularly. Yeah. Every, I think, I think uh, magic 95.9, the radio station, um, which is uh, like urban old school radio, by the way. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so the demographic, the demographic is completely different from like what we have going on from what it's not even a sports station right. every day had an update of this guy <laughs> to see what was going on. That's how invested this town was into seeing what was going on with the goof on the roof. Right. And so that was, that was hilarious. One of the things I think that I, I didn't love was, and I understand it was two hours. You had to, you had to put a lot of information in that, but um, we, we, we really just saw Trent Dilfer come in, but we didn't, the, the story of Tony Banks wasn't really told. He just was like, I know Tony Banks, this is probably going to sever our relationship. Yeah. But like, tell the story because, you know, Tony Banks had a really high, high, mm -hmm. and that was week two against the Jaguars where they came back and beat them and, in a in a close, I mean, but the Jaguars, I believe, had scored 32 points. Nobody had scored like that again after right. the Jaguars that whole season. But they didn't tell the the, the story of how we got to train. I mean, we know that that I, clearly Tony Banks wasn't wasn't doing well. And they showed the game where he threw the picks, and eventually Trent Dilfer comes in. But you know, the there's a reason why Tony continued to be the starter is because he had I think four or five touchdowns in that week two game against the Jaguars. So you really, the the ascension of Tony Banks and then the decline was really fast. And that's a story to me that, I mean, I'm not saying that it needed like um, 20 minutes, but you could have, you could have showed how you really thought that this guy was going to uplift his team and be the guy. And then he just, it just, fizzled out like really quickly so that was like something to me I found to be important that was omitted um in the storyline 
But um, ultimately, I think that the story was told, you know, pretty well um, after that. And you're, I love the, you're not the only one that was upset about the banks issue. Yeah. Like, and, you know, gone more in depth. I had a couple of people hit me up on Twitter and stuff, say the same thing right afterwards. Like they had wished that they had went into more detail into that week two game against the Jaguars. And, you know, and I'm, I got to tell you, I'm kind of foreign to the backstory of, right. of all of that. Um, so yeah, that would have been great to hear. I mean, it was cool to hear, I guess the, the sound, the, the sideline conversation with Billick and him telling Tony Banks, like, you know, we're going to go to uh Trent and give Trent a shot and see what he could do here. And, you could clear, clearly see Tony Banks was not happy uh, when he told him that. But, yeah, I, I'd have loved to find out more um, about the the rise of Tony Banks and, you know, to see how fast that, that fall was. Yeah, it really was. I mean, and and so, you know, they were like I, I feel like we didn't, like, hear a lot from, like, Rod Woodson a lot, which mm -hmm. is very odd because yeah. Rod Woodson is a – That's what to say all the time. He's a media figure at this point, right? right. He literally is the Ravens' um, color guy now. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so I don't know why he didn't get more of a stage in that regard. Yeah. Um, Matt Stover is another guy I mm -hmm. think that could have gotten more right. because he was the one scoring the points when they weren't scoring touchdowns. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would have been nice to hear from him a little bit more. Um and so I'm not I'm not nitpicking, even though it does feel like that that's what I'm doing. And I could see how that could be perceived. So I'm just saying well, that I think these are things that were missing in that documentary. Yeah. And I, I said this, I think, a couple of times, too. It's like this is I love documentaries, but I have a love hate with documentaries. When I know about the subject, I yep. find myself being very hard on the documentary. That's a good point. I think back to the 30 for 30 that they did on Bruce Lee. I'm a Bruce Lee nerd. You know what I'm saying? I've watched every Bruce Lee movie there is probably a, probably like 30 times uh, <laughs> in my life. And I know a lot about the Bruce Lee story. And I felt like when I watched it, I didn't get anything new. And I didn't get some of the stories that I really wanted to uh, know about. So, I mean, I, I just think that's a natural thing when it comes to documentaries. But you're right. I hadn't even thought about the fact that there were other people that I would have liked to hear from Matt Stover is a good one for sure, because, you know, during those, that five week stretch where they're not scoring touchdowns, this guy outside of the defense scoring occasionally is there was their prime, you know, uh, point score uh, at the time. So um, definitely would have liked to hear from him. I would have, I, I did feel like a couple of times that they, they kept the, they kept the gloves on a little bit. Um, yeah. Especially, when talking about the offensive struggles from the defensive standpoint, I would imagine that it was a little more colorful uh, in the locker rooms and stuff at that time with what they were saying than what they passed on to us in the documentary. Now I'm not expecting Ray Lewis to come out and say that they were going, you know, and practicing telling the offense how much they suck every day or something like that. <laughs> I, I feel like there was some, you know, some real conversations and some real tension probably at that time um, that we didn't really get privy to. I mean, it's, it's over 20 years later. You might as well let it all out. Uh, and I do think that they did tell, I mean, Saragusa was uncensored, I think, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I, I do think that they did open up, but there's always more you can, you can share. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm pretty sure they had a game plan going in on how much they're going to put out there 
and and how much they're going to keep for their own uh, conversations. I always attest to the fact, Gordell, that I believe that they probably they probably wasn't that much attention as you thought because they had Shannon Sharp on their side of offense mm-hmm. and what nobody really That's like true. Shannon wasn't going to let you like yeah. talk down on on his look. He he knew the group he was dealing with, but at the same time, those are his guys. Right. Right. And so he was just as much of a personality as the other guys on the other side. So do I think that that they said some things? Sure. But I also think that, you know, Shannon Sharp probably was like the guy that they was like, all right, we ain't ain't trying to get into no no arguing match with Shannon because we know Shannon got work. He can. He got bars, okay? He can (laughs) for moments like that, right? I think Shannon did a good job even when talking to the media of holding the offense accountable. He wasn't delusional. You know, he was uh, some of the clips that they put in the documentary of him talking post game and talking about the offensive struggles. He was, he was pretty blunt a couple of times. So I think that helped that he would publicly, you know, hold the offense accountable. Whereas <laughs> you look in today's game and you got guys like Zach Wilson, when the offense stinks and he's like, yeah, I don't, I didn't, you know, the, <laughs> I didn't think I uh, that I that I failed the team or anything like that. That that's where you get that locker room friction. So I do think that that helped a little bit. Absolutely. So it was really good. Um, I I enjoyed it. Um, and last, uh, lastly, I'm sorry. I I, I didn't want to go through this without mentioning what Trent Dilfer said as well. Oh, go uh, ahead. Uh, about the quarterbacks, I'm a little mixed on that because I, I I I get what he's saying. Um, about the game being different and the game being uh, made now for the offense. They want the points to light up the scoreboard. They want to see fast pace. They want to see the ball thrown all over the field. So I totally get what he's saying um, in terms of the game not being played the way it was back then. And it's easier for quarterbacks to put up these godly numbers now. Um, but it, I, I maybe for me, I would have liked to hear that from somebody else. Quarterback. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority and I'm sure Ravens fans probably. I'm sure you're know. not. You know what I'm saying? But I, I, if it was, you know, somebody else that was actually, you know, doing a little more, if it was Steve McNair or somebody like that from back then, then okay. I, I could, I could take it a little more, but it's, I just don't think that message should have came from Trent. That, that's um, kind of where I'm at. I also didn't like the specific name calling, particularly yeah, Tom yeah, Brady, who yeah, the yeah. league changed the rules because of Tom Brady. So Tom right. Brady had, had was literally in both eras. He's be, he's been wow. in the quote unquote old school era where he was mm-hmm. allowed to get beat up on, and then he's been in the post old school era, the the newer era, and it's because of him that they've changed the rules because he got his knee blown out in two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that first week. So I, I didn't like that at all. Um, you know, Brady isn't a, Brady ain't that far off in the same era as Trent Dilfer, right. uh, ironically. So you I didn't understand the the point of calling out guys specifically. And those guys are worlds better than you. They're both going to be first Hall of Famers. So I, I, I just don't even understand why you would even have to say names. All you had to do was say, I don't like the new school rules because old school back in the day was tough. We would have understood. And then, then you went off and named names, and that's where the disconnect begins because yeah. it was very unnecessary. And the names but, he named it was like, <laughs> I mean, you're you're shooting for the stars right, right now. Like, what? I, I mean, I would have appreciated more some some C class quarterbacks. 
but he shot all the way up to you know to Brady and those guys. I'm like, uh, or even a guy like Cam who runs, right? right. Who, who does get impacted? Yeah, Cam, Cam Cam took plenty of punishment. Granted, that was his style of play, and didn't you know, get but, calls for it right. too. Exactly. Ex so, I mean, the, right, Lamar doesn't even get calls, and that's even when he's in the pocket, he doesn't. Yep. he doesn't get calls. So I I just I just thought I. That that if that's the message that if, if somebody was going to say it, I, I, I wish it was a quarterback that wasn't Trent Dilfer. <laughs> I don't disagree with you. So if you haven't had the opportunity, I think you can go on ESPN Plus and watch the Bullies of Baltimore. You can also see the uncensored version as well on ESPN Plus. I'm sure they'll replay it again because we're in the part of the the year where you know basketball is, is pretty mm -hmm. much on, and you know they need the content, so they'll be airing it again, and you'll be able to see it if you missed it the first time. Before we get into our second segment, make sure that you're subscribed to the Winning Drive podcast so that every time there is a new episode, you will be the first to receive it. So, Cordell, you and I both worked um, at the station on Sunday. Um, but one of the good things about working at the station is you got TVs, you're yep. able to view um, all the sports things that's going on at that time, you know, during um, your time. So, um the Pro Bowl game started while Glenn and I's show mm -hmm. um, was on, and then you followed behind us, um, and the Pro Bowl was on. So the first uh, game, the first flag football game, was uh, quarterbacked by Tyler Huntley, who, uh, you know, did well. Um, they did well. Uh, you know, for, he connected to Mark Andrews uh, and mm -hmm. for the, the first touchdown, and I think they eventually lost that round, but ultimately um that believe they had three rounds so you probably had the opportunity to at least peek at the other two but overall because we know that this was a completely different format they did um the skills competition they brought that back they had um dodgeball they had like all these other things going on and by the way the nfl is a machine because that stadium was jam packed mm -hmm. It started at 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, which means it started at 12 o'clock mm -hmm. in Vegas time. And people and the stadium was packed. Now, I don't know about y'all, but on Sunday, I'm going to brunch at 12 o'clock. I'm, <laughs> no, I'm not going to no flag football game. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't care who's playing in it. I'm not going. And so to see how many people were actually there and, play, and, and paid American bucks to go see some guys running around in with flags on was a, an amazing thing for me to see. I don't even know why I'm surprised because I understand the impact that the NFL has on this country, but I'm still surprised. I'm sorry, Cordell. I was very surprised to see that many people. So I had to get that out. That being said, how did you feel about the new format um, with this year's Pro Bowl? Well, first of all, you know, in terms of the, all the people that were jam-packed into Allegiant Stadium, um, it is liable that at least half of those people were zombies. Um, you know, I think that when I'm, <laughs> you when think I'm they in was Vegas, out the night before and stumbled yeah, in there? You, you just didn't even, you just, you just, they just ended up there. You know what I'm saying? They were out and they just landed somehow at Allegiant Stadium in the stands. Uh, because I just think back to some of my times in Vegas and how I'm just, up all night and didn't even realize it 
uh, it's something in the air. I'm convinced to where you just don't sleep out there and you'll be, you know, you'll see the sun coming up and all of a sudden you don't even realize how you got to where you're at. So uh, I would imagine that that's how a, a portion of those people <laughs> ended up at a Legion stadium. But in terms of the pro bowl, I mean, it is what it is. You know, they, they got the format together. They, they, they're trying new things. They got to try new things because the game itself was a waste. Um, I don't know. It is what it is. Some of the competitions are cool. I like dodgeball. Uh, the tic-tac-toe was cool. Uh, I know, it, I mean, it was, it was a quick game, but it was, it was creative. You incorporate the long snappers and the punters into the tic-tac-toe uh, thing. Um, the flag football games, they were, they were better than I, than I thought they'd be. Uh, Tyler Huntley was actually pretty sharp Yeah, uh, in, in the, the, the quarterback competition on Thursday uh, and in the flag football game, he, like you said, he threw the touchdown to Mark Andrews also connected with AFC North rival uh, Jamar Chase uh, as well out there. Um, but Huntley looked like he was in his own element. You know, he's a guy that doesn't show a lot of personality, um, but you listen to some of the uh, sound effects from the Ravens and, you know, when he's mic'd up, he he was having fun out there, which is good because he, you know, it was a lot of jokes made uh, and I'm not, you know, I, 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 my hands aren't clean. Uh, and, <laughs> Our hands are right, clean. You know what I'm saying? Uh, with, 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 for Huntley being at the Pro Bowl, it was definitely a lot of jokes made at his expense. But all in all, I didn't have an issue with him being there. You know, it's good for him. It's not his fault that, you know, guys backed out or guys ended up going to the Super Bowl and it landed on him somehow. I mean, it is what it is. It's another opportunity for him. And I do feel like, you know, he – he made the most of it. He looked like he was having fun. He was around a lot of, you know, uh, former great players. And he's around a lot of players that are big time contributors in this league right now. So, you know, it, it, it's something to gain from being around that type of company, I think. Um, and hopefully it works out for him. But uh, that water balloon catching contest, I thought was the dumbest contest of, of, of the entire thing. I, I mean, honestly, I don't even know why. The players look so bored playing. It was stupid. It was, that, that was, that was the dumbest one that I saw. Um, but, you know, you got Marlon eating the, the, the chicken fingers on the sideline and dipping it in barbecue sauce and honey mustard. He is just so weird sometimes. I don't know. So don't apparently, know is that Chick-fil-A sauce? I, uh, is it? I don't know. I'm a person. Maybe I'm. I'm just. I'm only using one sauce at a time. Right. You ain't. You ain't. You ain't double dipping. Oh, yeah. I'm trips. not. I'm not double dipping into like a three blend sauce or something right. like that. That's just not what I'm doing. But it's just like he goes out his way to be different when it comes to food and stuff. More power to him. Whatever. But you know that, that's cool. The guys are having fun. Roquan being out there with with Ray and. You know, being able to pick his brain and Ray saying that they're going to sit down during the off season and watch some film—that's that's great. You hopefully, you know, I wonder if Patrick Queen would be. I alive, was going to say, you know, can because I, I instantly thought of him. Yeah, I thought of him. Like, is he the odd man? Is he like, can I come? You know, it's like <laughs> that, that's crazy. And I don't know because he he's still here, and there's you know ideas that maybe he could be a trade piece for this team because they don't have a lot of trade capital and they still have needs and. You would imagine they're probably not going to pay two inside uh, linebackers. And right now, Patrick Queen has this about as high of a value as I think he's going to have 
uh, while he's on his rookie deal. So who knows? But it, I just have, I, I did have to chuckle a little bit to myself when everybody's talking about Ray wanting to spend time with Roquan. And I'm like, well, what about, is Patrick Queen going to be a part of those, uh, <laughs> those uh, 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 film watching sessions? But who knows? Uh, but yeah, it was a lot of things to take from there. Marlon talking about, you know, trying to uh, uh, recruit. Again. Asking about Lamar. That's inevitable. Um Everybody wants to know what's going on with Lamar from the players around the league to the fans of Baltimore to the media. Everybody wants to know. And that's why I'm even more convinced that nobody truly knows. But we'll talk about that later on in the show. But, yeah, it was great for all the Ravens guys to be out there. Looks like, you know, if nothing else, guys got to enjoy themselves. It's Vegas. It's not Hawaii. But it's Vegas. You know, it's cool. I think it's better than Orlando for sure. Oh, definitely. Definitely. No question. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's if, better than Orlando. I, if I'm picking, I'm going to Vegas over Orlando, unless it's a family trip. Right. Well, you know, back in the day, the Pro Bowl kind of used to be like a family trip. Right. You know, right. everybody was taking their families right. to Hawaii because mm-hmm. it's Hawaii. But now it's like it's kind of changed from, you know, that to you like can't take your family to Vegas. Yeah, I ain't bringing. I mean, and, and look, people had their families there. Stephon right. Diggs, I believe, right. had, had his right. son there. We saw people's kids. Mm-hmm. So some people were. You know, I'm not taking right. their family, a family trip to Las Vegas. That's right. just me. But, you know, what do I know? Right. So, um, yeah, like, it, it was interesting. It was it was interesting. Um, I mean, it, it really felt like the one that was padded and, and helmeted in previous years was getting to the point of flag football anyway. So, I mean, just making it a real thing is, you know, I, I guess it's it's fine. And we still got um, a big hit. In the flag football oh, yeah. game, Jalen yeah. Ramsey just knocking Tyreek Hill out of the play. I mean, I don't even think Jalen saw him, to be honest. Uh, I, watching that replay, it didn't even look like he really knew Tyreek Hill was there. But, right. I mean, it's inevitable. And Miles Garrett had a dislocated toe right. uh, out of there. So you still didn't walk out injury-free. It's further proof that there is no avoiding injuries in exactly it's, it's nothing you can do unless you're literally going to wrap these dudes in bubble wrap and have them six feet apart out there i mean other than that somebody's going to get something it's in that i completely agree i completely agree so uh, you know we have to keep we have to understand that that that's always going to be a risk it, and and mm-hmm. that includes you know flag football games you're always going to be at risk of some type of injury but Overall, I think it was it was watchable. It was it was fun to get. You know, they had Snoop Dogg out there, and YP Davidson was there. I don't, I don't you know. know. I don't, I, what in the world is Amon Ross St. Brown doing with a water tattoo of Pete Davidson on his arm? Like, <laughs> I've never met a grown man that says like, "Oh, I'm a big fan of Pete Davidson." That is literally like the first I've heard of that. I don't, I don't know. I don't even know what Pete Davidson does. I besides think he was on Saturday Night Live, right? His He's where? He was oh, on Saturday, Saturday Night, Night Live. Live. Oh, okay. okay. I think. And look, I might be making that up quite yeah, frankly. I don't know. I think I he know may he have hosted it before. One time. That's yeah, what he, I know. Yeah, he may have hosted Saturday Night Live uh, before. I do know that. I don't know if he's from there. I don't watch Saturday Night Live religiously. I do watch it. Watch no, he was. Sport. He was a cast member okay. for eight seasons. I looked it up. Okay. So he did. Eight he was. Seasons. Wow. Yeah. So th- yeah, he was a cast member for eight years. He's a com- that he. So now he's considered a comedian. Yeah. Whatever. I don't know. 
I don't, I don't, I didn't know him well enough until you know him dating Kim Kardashian, and right. I was like, oh, okay, well then, yeah. you know, that's that's the thing. But what I know, I thought he was from Jackass. <laughs> that was what I know. <laughs> I and I watched Jackass, and I just assumed he does was, he look Jackass material? Yeah, is that he why? literally that's what it was. He just looks like he hang like that's his crowd. That's what like I, Steve-O is his best friend. Right, honestly, <laughs> he looks like Steve-O too. He actually does. They do favor a little bit yeah. with the short hair he had on on Sunday. <laughs> so yeah, like it, you know, it was so it was interesting. Like I said, you had Snoop, so it was cool that Snoop got to meet Snoop. Or oh, I don't know yeah. if that, that was not the first time that they met. Right. I don't know, but. I mean, you know, somebody that they say he was named after, which I don't get because they don't look alike. But at all, okay, um, you know, they—that's where he gets his nickname from. And so, you know, maybe he did when he was younger. We, maybe we got to see some some yeah. um, little league pictures of Snoop to see that's if that, that happened. Question right there. Yeah, but that was cool to see. You know, and 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 I love the whole like Manning brothers like mm-hmm. shtick. Yeah. So that was actually pretty cool because I really enjoyed their uh, Manning cast during the season. So it it, it was it was interesting. I, I did enjoy you know what I did see, um, and you know I think that I think that bringing back things like the skills competition is cool. I'm ag- I'm agreeing with you that the the water balloon one you can get rid of. Like yeah. that's. We pointless doing? we don't need it um also, what in the world was that that stefan diggs uh attempt at the catches i first of all i didn't know what he was doing <laughs> when he's standing behind the cheerleaders acting like he's taking pictures like what in the world are we watching right now and, <laughs> and then they move i'm like okay but for a while there it was some questionable stuff going on from right stefan diggs. i didn't know what he was doing i don't think he knew either so there's that. Um, so <laughs> because it's the Pro Bowl, right? right. Like nobody, there's no real rules going on. Right. Oh, that was another thing. The refs didn't know the rules. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't alone. He wasn't alone. <laughs> so yeah, you know, almost like the real ones. But you know, it, it, it was uh, very interesting. It was fun. Um, you know, the what I saw, I enjoyed for the most part. So uh i'm interested to see if they, if they continue to let it grow into what they did or if they're going to add new things i'm going to have to assume vegas is going to be the place for it, it because like it, it. it makes the most sense um unless going back to hawaii which really makes the most sense but yeah. whatever um i think it makes the most sense for you know the players and and for everything going on now it'll be interesting because next year the super bowl was in las vegas so i don't know how that's going to work but i mean i guess in 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 hindsight i mean it's not hindsight cuz it hasn't happened yet but when you think about it maybe it does work because you don't have to move if you know networks don't have to move everything around cuz you're already there so you don't have to try to pay for two separate venues, right? Right. Sell, get it yep, all. that makes the most right sense. There. Yeah. So we'll see uh, how it goes next year, where it goes, if it's it comes back or, or not. But I think that it 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 fared pretty well. So um, shout out to the NFL for finding a way to make it more watchable, and shout out to them for just finding ways to get people to buy into right. just the stupid stuff that they do because that was wild. To see a full stadium of people. Yeah watching that game all right before we get into our last segment have you subscribed to the winnie drive podcast if not i need you to hit that subscribe button so that every time cordell and myself talk about your baltimore ravens you will be the first to know so we have been doing a series cordell where we talk about um each group uh on on our team 
regarding on our team, meaning the team we cover in the Ravens, um, in terms of um, where we see them go, how they did, how they fared, where we see them moving forward. Um, so today we're going to do the tight end group. And obviously we know who runs the show in the tight end group. That is Mr. Mandrews, AKA Mark Andrews. Um, he is the creme de la creme mm. of groups in the tight end group. Um, there's other guys on this, obviously, that we are waiting to see them really have their moments. We, we've seen Isaiah Likely. We like some of the things that we've seen from him, but I just don't think we've seen enough as of yet. Uh, Charlie Kolar didn't come in until way late into the season, so mm. I really have no idea on what it is that – I'm looking for from him yet, but I, I have to believe in 2023 that will change. And then Nick Boyle, who was on the roster for the most part of the season, was eventually waived at the end of the season. He had a, a pretty decent cap number, too, I believe, at the time, but he hadn't played much all season. I'd, I've been under the belief um, all year that he um, didn't fully recover from his injury, and that was probably why we only saw him sporadically in um, blocking situations. But essentially, Nick Boyle's time had, you know, maxed out in Baltimore. So that leaves us to, oh, Oliver. I mm -hmm. apologize. Don't let me uh, – I didn't want to forget. Josh Oliver, who they had traded um, from – four from Jacksonville um, a couple seasons ago was also on the roster. So that leaves at the Nile at the time it's four guys. Mm -hmm. I don't, I would have to check Oliver's contract to see if it's up, if it needs to be renewed or whatever, but you've got Mark Andrews, obviously who already extended his deal. So he's going to be here. And then you have Kolar and likely who are on their rookie deal. So they'll be here um, for 2023. But when you look at this tight end group at the at currently with the four guys that we mentioned, um, what is it about this group that you like? What do you think needs to be improved? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I, it's, it's not much, <laughs> to be honest with you, that they probably need to improve at the tight end position because they've got some quality guys in there. And to answer your question about Oliver, he is an unrestricted free agent um, in 23, so. He's a guy that okay. if they, you know, if they decide they want him back, they'd have to uh, re-sign him. And even sticking with Josh Oliver, he was a big part, I think, into as to why Nick Boyle didn't play as much this year. Yeah. Josh Oliver, you know, at one point, Greg Roman said he flat out won the job. He, you know, he he forced their hand um, all the way from training camp. So uh, Josh Oliver was a this was the biggest impact he's made on this roster, I would say, since he's been here. Um, from a blocking standpoint and perceiving wise as well. And he's a, you, you, if you look at the Ravens and their tight end room, for the most part, they, they have a certain build that they like at the tight end position. They like these hybrid tight ends that are, that almost have wide receiver capabilities. You know what I'm saying? They have that. They, they may not be as big as normal tight ends. They may be a little slimmer, more so like a wide receiver, but they like the versatility from their tight ends to be able to not only line them up in the traditional tight end spot, but they like to put them in the slot. They, I mean, at least in Greg Roman's system, we don't know what it's going to look like going forward, but they like to use the tight ends a lot uh, in their formations. That being said, looking at this group from top to bottom, I mean, it starts with Mark Andrews, like you said, and he, may, he didn't have the all-pro year, and you knew – 
you kind of knew going into this year he was he probably wasn't going to be able to duplicate what he did last year, especially once the injuries to Rashad Bateman uh, and Devin Duvernay and those guys happened. And even Mark Andrews himself this year dealt with quite a few injuries. He ended up missing two games, one of which he just pretty much was asked to sit out for that uh, in, for that Week 18 game against the Bengals. Um, but you know, Mark Andrews is still a very good tight end in this league, still a, an elite tight end in this league. I still believe he is a top three uh, player at his position in the NFL right now. Easily. Um, and that order changes depending, I think, on who's healthy and who's not, you know, between him. I, I think him and George Kittle are kind of like the two and three in my mind. Right, right. Who, who's having the healthier year. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Mark Andrews has allowed the Ravens to hide some of their deficiencies on the offensive side of the ball, specifically at wide receiver. Um, and this year, I think more than any other year, it showed how bad they need receivers because oh. defenses were after the year Mark Andrews had last year, they were locked in that they were not going to let Mark Andrews kill them. And, to their credit, they did. You know, they they did a really good job of bottling Mark Andrews up for the most part this year. I mean, he finished with under 900 yards on the season. Um, only only had five touchdowns this year. Like this was a down year for Mark Andrews. He hadn't had this low of a receiving number yards wise um, since 2020 uh, touchdowns. This is his lowest touchdown. Uh, output since his rookie year where he had three. Yep. So by his standards, it's a down year. Um, but Mark Andrews is still a very, uh, very high quality player. I just feel like again, I mean, you could say this for a lot of the guys on this Ravens offense. They, I think that they needed an upgrade, not only at the coaching position, but I think Mark Andrews is another one of those guys like Lamar that would benefit from the Ravens going out and adding more at the wide receiver position, just to give more space out there on the field to, you know, uh, allow him more one-on-one -on -one opportunities. Whereas now he's getting doubled and triple teamed and bumped all over the place because everybody knows he's the number one target in every pass play. Uh, and then you go to Isaiah likely who, you know, I may have, I, I learned my lesson a little bit being able to cover the team really all throughout the year for, for the first time. And I was told by a lot of reporters during training camp, you got to be careful with some of these guys because they all look like world beaters in training camp. And then in the regular season, man, it'll be a totally different thing. And that mm -hmm. was the case for Isaiah Likely. Not that Isaiah Likely didn't play well or anything like that, but Isaiah Likely that we saw in training camp, I would make the argument that he was the best player on the offensive side of the ball in training camp. He was the by far the most consistent one. Uh, I mean, every day he's making highlight rail catches. Every day he's beating guys over and over. He's not dropping any passes. I mean, this dude was killing all throughout training camp. And then you get to the regular season, and he kind of like fades back into the shadows a little bit. And that's expected. He's a rookie, you know, um, at best coming into the season. He was maybe the third option in the pass game at best. Um, behind Bateman and Andrews so I understood it but I was disappointed that the Ravens did not find a way to make him a bigger focal point in this offense especially with the injuries to wide receivers I just felt like that would open up 
Mark Andrews even more, and even himself even more. If Mark Andrews is getting double teamed, then that means Isaiah Likely's got one-on-one opportunities, and I like those odds. Now, yep. Likely had a couple of drops this year that didn't help him, um, but, you know, I just thought it would have been so lethal for the Ravens to force defenses to have to pick which one of these guys they're going to pay attention to in the middle of the field. I mean, they're both great route runners. Speaking of Andrews and likely they both can make plays in one-on-one situations. I'm just so disappointed that they didn't find a way to incorporate him more into the offense, considering how bad they were struggling in the past game. Charlie Kohler, we didn't really get to see him until the back end of the year. Um, But I I think you got to see a little bit of a sample size of what he can do in that Bengals game. He's, he's long. He's not necessarily the most athletic. He's not the fastest, um, but he knows how to find the open areas in the zone. He's really good at that. And he's got quality hands. You throw it to him. He's got a good catch radius. Uh, He can go up and get it. Um, I think going forward, he's going to be a big part of what they do in the red zone. So him is a little more on the projecting side. Uh, but I do think he has an upside that'll help this team going forward. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I agree with that. And I also agree with you. We talked about this so many times on previous podcasts about why we didn't see Andrews and likely more together on the field when you needed pass catchers, when you needed guys to, to make impact plays. And it would have allowed the defense to respect one or the other or you know you're going to respect mark andrews and that's fine Mm -hmm. if you're going to continue to cover mark andrews but like you i i like one-on-one matchups uh against likely and i don't understand why you know we didn't see more of that but this is a uh, to me this is this really has the potential to be a solid group i'm not and i'm not including andrews because we know what he can do we know what he's capable of I'm specifically talking about the other two. I don't know if you really feel like you you want to add um, uh, an, a, another tight end back, maybe for you know um, blocking Knowing them. They probably will. You know, they can't have enough for tight ends. Well, I mean, this, this is supposed to be a new regime. Right. We don't know right. yet. We, we, right. we don't know if this new coordinator is going <laughs> to love tight ends the way Greg Roman did, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I understand the importance of them because tight ends are multifaceted. They can, you know, you they can block well. The, some of them because some right. of them can't <laughs> some of them are specifically they had to catch the ball um but but you got many of them that can block that can get off the line of scrimmage can and get some passes and all of those things so you know i it will be interesting to see if they feel like they need a fourth tight end i don't expect to see nick boyle back i think that you know his time here is his time here and i truly appreciate um, what he's done here um, because he was one of, you know, to me, uh, uh, some unsung heroes many times before his injury. Um, but this is a, 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 a solid group, I think. I believe that this is a solid, the three of them right now, if they don't add somebody else, they're a solid group. And that's with me projecting that, uh, you know, Kohler is, is going to be a guy, like you're saying, that, can get up for it in the red zone because of his size. Um, But, you know, we've seen some action of likely, we know what Mark Andrews is and that alone, you know, has, has, you have to be, you have to feel at least good about what they can do um, overall as a group and how they could potentially create mismatches um, against defenses. I just hope that the offensive coordinator who comes in really finds a way to maximize having, you know, um, Bateman, um, 
Andrews and likely at the field on the field at the same time numerous times because to me that would be such an ideal matchup. Yeah, I mean, if if I'm interviewing these offensive coordinators, one of the big things that I'm going to bring up that, and I'm not trying to bash Greg Roman, but it was malpractice that, especially down the stretch of the season, once the injuries really started to stock up, that the Ravens were not utilizing the limited weapons that they had on offense. I mean, they were limited for sure, but it's like they weren't even getting anything out of the guys that they did have at their disposal. And that was because of, I think, coaching and play calling. Like they, they were perfectly fine with Devin Duvernay finishing games with no touches or one. It's crazy. It's, it's mind blowing that that is the case. We talked about Isaiah likely not having a bigger role in the passing game once the receivers go down. It when I when I bring in this pat whoever this new offensive coordinator is, I'm going to emphasize to him that I want him to maximize the talent that we do have at our disposal, understanding that we may not have the best talent on the offensive side of the ball in the off in the league, but we do have talent. And if we do it right, we could do a lot better than what we did this past year. You look at the Ravens, they still were a playoff team despite having their top two receivers gone and their starting quarterback gone down a stretch. That's the sign of a quality team. If nothing else, think of the games that they could have won had they actually decided to utilize the guys that they do have. I mean, some of those games they won because the, the other team wasn't good. I mean, you think back to that Atlanta game, you think back to the Panthers game, you know, I mean, some of those games and the Broncos game, I think they won some games by default simply because the other teams just sucked. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it is games that they didn't win that they should have won had they done a couple of things differently. And, uh, and it's not all on the offense at all, you know, on some of the losses they, that they had this year, but I just think that they left so many plays on the field, so many points on the field because they kept a lot of their bullets in, in, in the gun. You know, they they went back home with a full clip, I feel like, a, a lot of times um, because they just were going against the grain to a degree too much uh, for, for my liking. So I, I really want to emphasize, I would emphasize to the new offensive coordinator, like, man, even if we don't go out and get DeAndre Hopkins or somebody like that and we're, we have to come back with, you know, a similar type of group on the offensive side of the ball. I do still believe we have young talent on this roster that I want you to be able to unlock that. I want to see you try to maximize because we didn't do that last year. And I think they paid for it down the stretch. I agree. And I think that the tight end group is a good start for that because yeah. you have two young guys that, um, you know, although we, we didn't see Kolar much because of injury um, prior to the season start, he did come in late and we saw some potential from Isaiah likely. So I do, I agree with you. If you don't find the wide receivers that you're looking for in the off season, utilize the guys that you have, find a way to maximize their talents. So then that way they can help your offense score points down the field. I, I you said it best. I, I can't really add to that. So I'm excited to see what they'll do in 2023, mm-hmm. Ho- uh, hopefully under better management. Um, <laughs> and I, again, I'm not, this is not me trying to, you know, rag on. Um, I mean, it is what it is. Greg Roman, you know, like we said, all watch the same games. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, no, for, for sure. I mean, but at the end of the day, like you have to use the guys that you have. And right. I, I I need somebody to, if, I mean, max it out. Right. You know, 
what you currently have. Um, and so hopefully the next coordinator will do just that um, in 2023. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Um, on Friday, we'll continue our series with the next group that we'll be uh, going over. Uh, so until then, from Cordell to me, this is Winning Drive. <laughs>